Well, good morning. Uh, it's good to, to be here with you today. I got to tell you, though, I got a, a few things initially that I, I feel like I just need to get off my chest. <clears throat> First one is this, is that I think that pineapple is the, the best pizza topping that there is. <laughs> I think that cilantro actually tastes like fungal soap. I think that Justin Trudeau is the best prime minister that Canada has ever had. See, see, some of you... <laughs> so what you, what you didn't know is you actually, uh, you overran the people that I had plants in the audience that were supposed to like stand up and yell like, you're wrong! But they didn't even, they didn't even get to do that. I, I should have told them to be louder and more, you know, more boisterous, but you just took over. It doesn't, it doesn't really feel good to be booed. Some of you probably felt like, man, I've been waiting to do that to Kimball for a long time. Just something, just waiting for something that he's going to say to just like, you're wrong, boo! Uh, but um, anyways, thank you. I, I mean, I, I'm grateful uh, that you had that opportunity, at least. But it doesn't feel so good to be told, you're wrong, you're in error, that's not right. And just so you know, for clarification about my statements there, um, the only one that I, I feel like really strongly affirmative about is the cilantro one. The others are, you know, kind of iffy. But you know, being married <clears throat> has, uh, for 32 years, uh, has exposed me to all sorts of things that I have been wrong in. <laughs> and uh, you know, there, there is a, a right way to fold towels. Who knew? There is a, a right way to spread peanut butter on toast. I learned this very early in our marriage, is that Tanya's grandfather, Mike Puttisi, taught them very well from a young age to spread the peanut butter to every possible surface area of the toast. It had to cover every part of it. I learned that there was <clears throat> a right way <clears throat> to open Christmas gifts, presents on Christmas Eve, and stockings on Christmas Day. That was the only way. Now, of course, in these particular things, it's not necessarily a matter of being wrong, just a matter of, of personal preference. But when it comes to religion, faith, belief about God, eternal life, there is deep personal beliefs that are held, and there's too much at stake to get this wrong. Scripture is clear in warning those of us who, who teach to be cautious because we have influence, and there's always a possibility of misleading. It's a common prayer for preachers everywhere and teachers of Bible studies and whatever to say, Lord, whatever is of you, let people hold on to. Let that be what is remembered and, and anything else that is just of me or that is not true be forgotten. 
Today, as we look for a few minutes into 1 John chapter 4, <clears throat> verse 1 to 6, we're going to hear from apostolic authority, and we'll explain what that is in a bit, but how to discern truth from error. So I invite you to turn in your Bible or your scripture journal that you have that we provided for you to, to 1 John chapter 4, verse 1 to 6. <clears throat> the Apostle John writes this to the church then and to us now. Beloved, do not believe <clears throat> every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are from the world, therefore they speak from the world, and the world listens to them. We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Now, if you've been in this series with, with us for a little while, you've, you've heard this, and maybe it's like, okay, I get that already, but it's good to, to keep repeating it. But this is the way we focused in this series, the series entitled, Am I in the Light? Am I, am I a follower of Jesus? Am I, am I um, known by God and know God? Am I in the light? And these three tests that we have been walking through, again, first of all, the truth test what you believe about Jesus, and that's where we're going to camp in a little bit today. Secondly, the obedience test, how you walk in obedience to the commands of God. And third, the love test, as Russ talked about last week, and we've had, had others uh, speak, in, and it kind of weaves its way through this book. The love test, how you love others. You say you love God, and then it should come out in how you love people. But now what, what John says is kind of interesting. He says, test, here's another word, test, but he's saying test the spirits. So now he's putting the onus on the church to, to do the testing. Test the spirits. So I'm going to give you a few just initial observations about this passage, and then we're going to kind of park in some things as far as why the, the incarnation— the God becoming flesh in the person of Jesus, why that is, is crucial to us. Now, you might be sitting here thinking, okay, all this, this stuff sometimes we talk about is this theology, this truth test, and how does it actually apply to my daily life? And I really, truly hope that the things that you, you take from here and that you believe, you come to know about Jesus, actually shapes your life because it is, it is critical to understanding of who God is, how he relates to us, and what is our ultimate future being in his kingdom now and already, but not yet. 
Okay, so a few observations. Uh, First of all, this is to the church. We've seen this before. John has has brought this, you know, word beloved or dear children in part of his, his, you know, paragraphs where he addresses this. And so we realize that every time we see beloved, or your translation might say dear children, uh, he is speaking to the church, to the family of God. And he's saying, don't believe everything that you're told. Test the spirits. See, we have to maintain clarity of the gospel to us today. We're also told we need to present the saving message of Jesus to the world around us. But but man, we better have our theological ducks in a row ourselves. Or what good is it? Another observation is that this is written with apostolic authority. Big word as far as the, the apostle. Apostle is someone that, that witnessed the resurrected Christ and was sent by Jesus with his authority. That, that was, that's the criteria for being an apostle. So they had seen the resurrected Jesus and then he had given them authority to go out and to preach the message and to teach. And so this is John as part of the apostolic authority and this is what he says in verse 6. He says that we, we know the truth. We are from God. Now, at first, when you read that, it, it might sound like, well, that sounds pretty arrogant, doesn't it? Like, if we, if we hear that today, it's like, we are from God. And if you listen to us, then, you know, you're in the truth. But if you don't listen to us, then you don't, you don't know God, and you're in error. It sounds, it sounds pretty bold, sounds pretty arrogant. But that's the whole kind of the point, not to be arrogant, but to understand that this is where the source comes from. This is a source of truth, being that they had seen Jesus, walked with Jesus, witnessed his resurrection, and then had been empowered by the Spirit to be sent out. And that's why we have it today. And so we have to go back to the source. And so that's what he's saying is that we are from God. And even referring back to chapter 1, verse 1, that it talks about, it says, That which was from the beginning, which we have seen, which we have looked at with, with our eyes. You know, we've, we've heard the message, we've seen it, we've looked at it, our hands have touched this. And this is the message that we proclaim to you concerning the word of life. So he's saying, as part of the apostolic witness, we're telling you what we have truly experienced and learned from the source himself, from Jesus. And that's why he can say, we are from God. And this is, this is the truth. Now, John's addressing a, a crucial issue at the time of this writing because there was false teachers. It's hard for us to go back in, in well, we can't go back in time, um, but to go back and to kind of understand historically what was going on in the day. But think of this as, as far as the church at that time, a lot of house churches, gatherings of people, and they would get these, these letters such as we have in John, they would get these letters and they would have, you know, parts of these, you know, they'd have the letters given to them, but parts of scripture, they wouldn't have the whole container that we have today in our Bible. And so they would get these things and then they would get the, the, the apostles would travel around and, and do the teaching and they would send others. Uh, Paul sent Tim, Timothy, John would send other, you know, elders to these churches to, with the apostolic record and witness to be instructed to them for truth. 
But at the same time, there was false teachers, those who would travel around and for whatever motive, you know, whether it was popularity to get a, a following of people for their own pride, whether it was for financial gain, there was false teachers that, and that they would come in and, and this is what John is addressing. So they didn't have a complete scripture because it was being written in, at that time. And they also didn't yet have, have creeds, you know, where the, the councils met together, the early church fathers met a couple centuries later, and they put together these creeds, and this became part of the, you know, the, the catechism of the church. This is what we are taught, this is what we believe, this is what we hold to. That hadn't been formed yet. And so John is saying, you got to stay close to the source. And they are the source. In this passage, John is saying that the deal breaker of all these things is Jesus. And Jesus, of course, says John 14, 6, that I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. The truth is a person. The truth is a person. As much as we hold to, we have, a, we have our confession of faith, as much as we look at the, the creeds uh, that have been written that, that guide us in, in what is orthodoxy, what is true teaching, and all the things that we have in our statement of faith and doctrines, and this is what we hold to, that's all really important, but we don't, we don't hold to truth only as a bunch of propositions. The truth is a person. Now, it's not going to happen, but if you were to really look at a, a dictionary that was accurate and look under truth, it would say, see Jesus. Jesus is the truth. And so John isn't just saying that we need to embrace the idea or the concept of who Jesus is, because even demons, the Bible says, acknowledge that. Even demons believe. They know who Jesus is. But he's saying that we must embrace his lordship. And that's what it means when it says confess Jesus. It isn't just checking a box. Confessing is saying, I have my allegiance to him and him alone. It's an act of surrender. And so when he says this is the deal breaker that people that, that hold to confess that Jesus came in the flesh. That's the deal breaker. This is the, the takeaway for us even today. When you're engaged in any kind of spiritual conversation with, with neighbors, with people from, from cults or other world, world religions, the question must always come around to what they believe about Jesus. And that will tell you a lot as far as what they truly believe. What do you believe about Jesus? Addressing the false teaching that, that said that Jesus was, was just a, a spiritual, that was what John is addressing, this, this kind of Gnosticism. It was the physical just didn't matter at all. It was just what is, what is spiritual. And so John is saying, like, this is critical that you believe, and you've heard this throughout this book, is that you must believe that Jesus came in the flesh. Now, just a quick little aside on this, because I think it's important. The way that John words this, 
it says that uh, only like those who believe that Jesus come in the flesh are from God. And so that kind of becomes a, a very defining line. But I think we have to kind of look a little bit beyond that and look to the rest of Scripture and also look to that was, that was the issue of the day in that generation that he's addressing. And every, every culture, every generation of Christians has different sometimes spiritual attacks. And so to say that that is, that is the only line, as it kind of sounds like John is saying, we have to look a little bit, a little bit deeper than that. So for example, if there's a belief system that says Jesus came in the flesh— all right, then as what John says is that they are from God. But they could also say Jesus came in the flesh, but so did other gods. And you'd say, well, no, that's, that's not right. <laughs> that's still an error. Or some could say that Jesus came in the flesh and died, but he did not rise from the dead. Then we'd say, hold on, right? Other scripture reveals that. And that that would be an error. Or to say that Jesus came in the flesh, but we also need to live according to the law. And that's going to be something that we'll, we'll look at this fall as we tackle the book of Galatians. A group of people that had come to faith in Christ, but now this false teaching that was, uh, was coming at them saying that you need Jesus and the law in order to be saved. Okay, so I'm just saying that while John says this is a very clear defining thing as far as that you believe that Jesus came in the flesh and that you are from God, we just have to look at it in terms of, yeah, there can be other errors that are attached to that that we also see in our world even today that where we still need to test the spirits. Okay, so the rest of our time we're going to look at is just why, why is this important? Why is the fact that Jesus came in the flesh so crucial to us? It was a big deal to John. He writes in his gospel, right from the beginning again, that the word, Jesus, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And so in that, he is, he's using this term, he's referring to in the Old Testament where the people of Israel, they were wandering in the desert and they had a tabernacle and they had this tent of, of meeting where God would come down and meet with the people. And, and so he's saying that, that Jesus, the word, now became flesh and dwelt among us. He literally, he pitched a tent. Or as Eugene Peterson says, he moved into our neighborhood. I like, I like that, right? He just he moved in. Right where we are walked among us. And so why, why is this important? So a few, uh, a few key things today. By coming in the flesh, what does this mean for us? First of all, this is that he can relate to us physically. He can relate to us physically. Now, not in, in every situation that we experience today, because we'd say, well, you know, Jesus, he didn't have the internet right? So how could he, how could he experience this? You know, he didn't, he didn't have AI to, to write his sermon on the mount. And just so you know, very clearly, if you're wondering, I don't use AI to write my sermons. It would probably be way better and, you know, then you'd know. 
so he didn't he didn't have that experience so not in every situation i was uh, i was on my motorcycle last uh, couple weeks i know here we go another motorcycle illustration but i was just you know you're thinking about this and that Jesus didn't have a motorcycle. Like, he, man, he missed out on, on that, right? It's just an awesome experience. But I was thinking about it, and I thought, you know, if he had one, he definitely would have a Kawasaki like mine. <laughs> because, you know, having a Harley, just that wouldn't have been the way that Jesus... Dale's not here today, so I could... Yeah. But no, you know, it's just those... those uh, those proud Harley riders. You know, Kawasaki, it's just a humble bike... Right, Jesus would ride that. No, but we, what we know, in, not in all current life experiences would we say, oh, Jesus knows exactly what that would be like because he experienced that, because he, he didn't experience all those things. So what does it, what does it mean in Hebrews 4.15 when it says, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our, with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. And so what it's saying there is that our high priest, Jesus, the mediator between us and God, he understands us because he walked among us. Because he understands our weaknesses. was tempted in every possible way that we are, and yet it says he was without sin. So he, he knows he can relate to us physically. If he hadn't been in the flesh, he would not be able to relate to us like that. Secondly, he physically showed us the Father. He physically showed us the Father. John 14, verse 9, one of the disciples, Philip, says, Jesus, like, show us Dad. You know, show us the Father. We want to see the Father and Jesus says to him, have I been with you so long and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Jesus is saying, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Gary Berge in his commentary, he says this, Jesus historically enfleshed himself in time and space. God has genuinely penetrated our world and made himself known. That's, that's why it's so important that he took on flesh. God genuinely penetrated our world. And through Jesus, he made himself known. Third, he modeled true physical humanity. If you've been around the church for a while and, and we, we use this term as far as like seeking to be like Christ, and that's not, it's not wrong, just sometimes our understanding of that is like we want to be like Christ and we talk about that as being a disciple and in, in, in being like him in his character and in his priorities. But if we think about it in terms of we want to be more like Christ in terms of his holiness and his righteousness, and I'm saying that's not, that's not bad, but what if we, we look at it in terms of Jesus being the most fully human person that ever lived? He showed us what perfect humanity was always meant to be as ones created in the image of God. 
Philippians 2, 5 to 8 says, In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant and being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on the cross. That was what God, in fleshing himself in the person of Jesus, did as he showed us what it meant to be truly human, to be a servant, to become obedient even to death. Jesus showed us not only who God is, but who we truly are in relationship to him, that we were created to know and love God. Gordon Fee says this, in Christ Jesus, God has shown his true nature. This is what it means for Christ to be equal with God, to pour himself out for the sake of others, and to do so by taking the role of a slave. Hereby, he not only reveals the character of God, but also reveals what it means for us to be created in God's image, to bear his likeness and have his mindset. It means taking the role of the slave for the sake of others. Fourth, he he was a perfect physical sacrifice for our sins, a physical sacrifice for our sins. If Jesus was not fully human, His sacrifice on the cross would have been insignificant to be our substitute. He had to be like us. If he was not fully God, his sacrifice would not have been an everlasting one. It would not have been sufficient to actually provide forgiveness for our sins. Hebrews 10 verse 5 says, Therefore, when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you prepared for me. With burnt offerings and sin offerings, you were not pleased. Then I said, here I am. It is written about me in the scroll. I have come to do your will, my God. First he said, sacrifices and offerings, burnt offerings and sin offerings, you did not desire, nor were you pleased with them, though they were offered in accordance with the law. Then he said, here I am, I have come to do your will. He set aside the first to establish the second, and by that will, listen, we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ, once for all. He was a perfect physical sacrifice. Fifth and finally, he physically rose from the dead. We firmly hold here, this is, this is our theological position, what we hold to, that we believe is from the apostolic witness clearly given to us today that Jesus physically, bodily rose from the dead. It wasn't just a spiritual resurrection. Luke 24, 36 to 42 is one of my, one of my favorite post kind of, kind of Easter passages after Jesus had risen from the dead and and in one of his um, times where he met with his disciples, I think this is the third time, he says, while they were still talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. They were startled and frightened, thinking they saw a ghost. He said to them, why are you troubled and why do doubts rise in your minds? Look at my hands and my feet. 
It is I myself. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and feet. And while they still did not believe it because of joy and amazement, he asked them, Do you have anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate it in their presence. The resurrected Jesus. Physical, bodily resurrection. We don't fully understand what our resurrection bodies will be like, what we'll look like one day. But what we can take from this is that we are, we are not going to be just spirits floating. We'll have bodies. And in particular, ones that will be free from pain, disease, and suffering. 1 Corinthians 15 verse 20, the Apostle Paul says, But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. And get this, he says, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. You know what the first fruits are? The first of the harvest, right? And what does that mean? Is that, that means that there is more to come. That's just the first part. There's more to come. And they're saying that that is, that is true of us. As believers in Jesus Christ, he led the way. His resurrection means that we through the power of the Spirit, can be raised to life as well, that we also will be resurrected physically. This is good news. As I close today, I want, to, I want you to hear this clearly. And I hope that you understand like that, that this, is, this is why it's so important that Jesus actually came in the flesh. See, we receive who Jesus truly is and what he has done for us by faith. And we cling to this truth, and by faith we also receive his spirit. And it is a spirit of truth within us that keeps us from deception. And we also, as a church, have to be—we're entrusted with holding fast to that. That we are custodians today in this day and age— July 2023, we as a church, we are entrusted to keep on testing the spirits, to guard the truth. And in the middle of this, is, it allows us to see that despite all that is going on in our world, in a world that is in such opposition to God and to his ways, we can hold clearly to this and we can say with the Apostle John that he is greater. He that is in us is greater than he that is in the world. He's the victor. He's the one that has overcome our sin, death, and the power of hell. Not just as God in spirit, just cosmically flipping the switch, reversing the powers of evil, but as God in flesh, humbly doing all that is needed to bring about the salvation of those who would believe. Probably heard me say this. A lot, and I, I use this at camp a lot with people when they say, I don't understand the Bible. <laughs> and I go, yeah, I know. There are a lot of things in the Bible that I do not understand. There's a lot of things in the Bible that I only think I understand. 
but there are too many things in the Bible that I cannot misunderstand. And this is one of them. One thing we cannot misunderstand or get wrong is the person and the work of Jesus. It makes all the difference in our understanding of God, how he relates to us, how we live in relationship with him, and what we look forward to in eternity. Let's pray. God, I, I humbly uh, acknowledge where, as a servant of yours, I have fallen so short at so many times in explaining your word, and, and yet I know it, it is not anything that is of value, of, of spiritual fruit comes from you and from you alone. Lord, thank you for the, the witness of the apostles who have passed it down to us, and I pray that we would be guardians of the truth. Lord, that you would help us by the power of your spirit to discern what is truth and what is error, that we would stand in opposition to a world that is so strongly opposed to you and to your ways. And God, in the midst of it all, you would give us uh, your amazing grace where we fall short. Amen.